And being able to focus on that, again, somehow going out of this linear and more judgmental and separated way of thinking where you sort of try to match the others to what you believe, if you just feel the other and you're just with them in that moment, then sort of the souls can meet and you can have an, an intimacy that is completely new. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, fellow human. I am a sick human today sick with a cold in case you can't tell, but I'm sure it's obvious. So I will keep this intro even briefer than usual. But I wanted to say something before I introduce or should I say reintroduce my guest this week. So this episode will be the last episode of 2018. Uh, The end of the year is a busy time for most of us with American Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and all that good stuff. And a lot of people are traveling, a lot of people are busy. Uh, A lot of people have less time to listen to podcasts, so I thought it might be a good idea to take a little hiatus for my sake as well as yours. But please stay tuned because I already have a bunch of great interviews lined up for 2019, and I'll be back with you in early January, so be sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And while you're at it, why not leave a rating and review? They mean a whole lot to me, and they're really inspirational to me and motivational to me as I keep the show going. My guest this week, once again, is Maria Blandine Wegener. If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that because I think you'll get a lot more out of this episode today if you've already listened to part one. But I'll repeat that Blandine is one of my Tantra yoga teachers here in Chiang Mai. She's also become a friend. And she is easily one of the most knowledgeable and insightful women I've ever met on the topic of relationships, sexuality, all that good stuff that you are used to hearing me talk about. In today's episode, we go deeper into many of the themes we covered in part one, more deeper into Tantra, building intimacy, connection with other people. She also gets into sexual continence for women, which I found really interesting. And I really think you're going to want to stick around and hear part two of my conversation with Blandine. Without any further ado, I present to you my discussion with Maria Blandine Wegener. go back to when you first started walking on this path. There's two things that I'm interested in, in, I guess, to know more about. One is how your life changed, because you mentioned, you know, you're partying and, you know, experimenting with drugs and stuff. Did you give all that up right away? Like, how did you embrace this path? How did that, you know, happen for you? And what was the reaction to friends and family when you started getting more serious about Tantra? Yeah, it's actually interesting and funny questions at once. So, um, yeah, the thing is about the drugs, alcohol, and so forth, um, that sort of, it's already had um, sort of a drop maybe a year before I found the path. And I just realized, oh, maybe I don't have to smoke. And I just stopped smoking for like 10 months or something. It was not at all a problem. And then um, I felt, oh, maybe I, I don't drink. And then I just stopped drinking and like basically in the maybe one and a half years 
going up to meeting the path, I had already stopped like a lot of the things and I was not taking drugs and not doing anything. But then exactly maybe like two months before I actually decided to become part of that yoga school and really follow like a guided path, I had like a complete, how you call that, rebound, like just completely going for it. Relapse. Relapse, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was like something in in my being just felt, okay, it's now or never. Try everything now because after that it will be done. I had a little bit of a feeling like that because I was already, um, I had these three months of soul awakening. And uh, after that, or like still in the, let's say in the, in the last waves of that, I went to Australia for a few months just to check it out and to work there a bit and travel. And um, while I was there, I sort of, yeah, I sort of became aware that something is really shifting inside, like really, really shifting. And I felt some sort of teenage part of me rebelling a little bit and being like no you have to just go wild completely for a while so yeah I went wild for about like two three months and just took so much drugs I mean it's really enough for for life and never with needles but anything else whatever was on the table I would take and um, still somehow having the the vibes coming from that from that time when when my when my soul was so open and so awakened I had these moments like of course being on psychedelics and then just realizing okay this is a little taste of what I experienced then like I already had the comparison then it was already like no when I'm actually clear in my mind I can go much higher and this is great this is awesome and I wanted to try it out but it's incomparable to what awaits when I'm just going into my soul and going into the my inner universe rather than sort of finding stimulants in the outer universe. So then once I came to, um, to the yogic and tantric path and I first started off doing a lot of hatha yoga, um, then of course that has a lot of purification coming along with it and is suggested to start with drugs and alcohol and smoking and all of that. So I just met that that part of the path and it was just the most natural thing to just stop everything so I came from the most crazy drug taking moment of my life and I just stopped because I felt okay yeah I had a nice time and it's not of any relevance because I noticed already that my states are much higher when I'm clean in my head so then I just stopped everything within everything within a few weeks I mean I've been a vegetarian since I was a child but Otherwise, everything else like cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, coffee, I stopped it all at once. You don't miss a nice glass of red wine. <laughs> I, I can give up everything, but, but wine, you don't miss that? And German wines, come on. Yeah, I mean, um, there is something or there was something a bit sentimental uh, inside of me about that. And then I would um, like periodically I, I would go back home and sort of dive back into the world of my parents who are these, um, you know, intellectual book reading, wine drinking type of half healthy people. And, um, and I would be like, well, it's Christmas, you know, let's have a glass of wine. And then I would drink that glass of wine and I would enjoy that. Like I would make sure to enjoy that good tantric, of course, like being present to it if already I'm being naughty. And then I just um, noticed, like attempting to drink a glass of wine, I noticed after three sips, A, my desire is fulfilled, 
B, it was totally not worth it because I can feel with the subtle perceptions that I trained through yoga, I can feel by now just how hard it is actually on my structure. So at one point, I was trying it again and again. Okay, Easter, let's have a glass of wine. Okay, two sips, totally not worth it. And, you know, I did that a few times. And then at one point I was like, I'm just not interested anymore. Like, I can't be bothered. Somehow I'd rather drink a glass of water and, you know, have a pleasure in that somehow and um, it was the same with coffee actually there's a whole story with coffee where um, uh, I sort of moved within the first six months of my yoga practice to a farm in Denmark in the middle of nowhere so it was sort of okay if you want a really crappy coffee because it's not allowed to drink it in the ashram right then you got to go to the gas station on your bike for five kilometers and I was like okay I don't need coffee that bad right and if you want a really good coffee then you need to go um, you know two hours on a train so that was just not an option. So I, I wasn't drinking coffee for about uh, three years. And that was the hardest for me because I was really addicted to coffee. Like I would go sometimes through two, three cans of coffee per day. So it was a thing for me. And then after about three years, I was um, one winter afternoon in London, in, in central London, just like stepping out of the subway and just being such a beautiful sunny day and the crisp air. Um, somehow breathing that and just feeling so free being in London and just being on a trip and somehow feeling all uh, bohemian about myself. And I was passing by a, a coffee shop and just I felt so sentimental about it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have one really good coffee now. And then I thought, okay, you know, I'm a yogi by now. I need to have something that is really dialed down with a lot of milk. So I had some frappuccino situation there. And uh, I stepped out with this coffee in my hand because I wanted to enjoy it in the beautiful London scenery with the air and everything. And I gloriously prepared myself for the first sip. And I drank this first sip and I will never forget it. It was literally milk with a homeopathic amount of coffee in it. And immediately my entire subtle energetic system contracted and I started to have cold sweats and my spine was just going completely crazy and I was standing there starting to shake. And I was like, okay, no, I'm going to have this coffee. I deserve this coffee. And my mind was like, I'm not having this stupid reaction of my body. So I was trying to have another sip and just smelling the coffee my body reacted again super heavily and then I just threw it away so what I recommend is just um, you know just be aware like if you're having a cigarette aware you know you will have five more and then you stop because you just notice what is what is doing to you and that the pleasure of it is totally not at all outweighing not even coming close to the negative effects that it has on your state on your state of mind and how you feel about yourself in that very moment so for me, that was the way to, to sort of figure that out by being aware. That's not a bad name for like a hipster coffee shop, Frappuccino situation. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We have a new business model. Yeah, there you go. You know. um, again, I interrupted you. We got derailed. How did friends and family react when you started getting more serious about this path? Because I think this is something that a lot of people actually, you know, inclined to experiment with different spiritual paths. I think this is a big concern for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, what was your experience of that? Or should I say, what has your experience been of that? 
Yeah, so um, my family is generally very, very open and very liberal somehow and, and very open for me to just experiment and try out my life. Um, yet when I came to be all of a sudden so crazy different from what they knew me to be, as in, um, yeah, stopping drugs, stopping smoking, stopping coffee, stopping all sorts of things that I used to enjoy doing somehow, um, I would come home sometimes over Christmas and be fasting, you know, and they would be like, well, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, it's like you're not enjoying life anymore and so forth. So there was a lot of um, uh, struggle. I don't, don't want to call it conflict. It, more, it was more like my family struggling with it because they were not like pushing me because they are sweet. Um, yet I could feel how much it concerns them. And then, of course, being in the beginning of my 20s, it was also like, okay, now what? I'm finding myself here and my family can't grasp it. What will I do with that? But then eventually, um, one, of my, uh, one of the wonderful, wonderful teachers in my path, a female teacher, she said to me, look, um, it's not a must for your family to understand you and for you to understand your family but it's a must to love your family and for your family to love you. So start focusing on that. In the beginning, I, I tried to explain a lot of the stuff that I was doing, and some of it definitely my family resonated with, like the whole idea of love and of connection and of just being and accepting yourself. They could totally resonate with that. And my brother, even in the beginning um, of my path, he, uh, he had his own explorations into yoga, so we were sharing some stuff. And um, even though that didn't continue for him, there was sort of like a common base. But it was sort of like there's, um, there's a threshold where they were like, okay, we are out. You know, I mean, if you want to do, you know, cr become a crazy tantric nun, then uh, suit yourself. But that's not something that we can really fully understand, right? So my mother got quite worried at one point because then I moved to Denmark. I wasn't so available anymore. Also, I was just a stupid kid not answering the phone properly and all that sort of stuff. So she started to really get worried. And what were you doing in Denmark? Um, I was actually moving to Denmark after six months of entering into yoga to uh, start um, dedicating my life to yoga and become a teacher. So I started all sorts of teacher trainings just very early on in my path. And as they are offered in Denmark, and I any, anyway felt an inclination to be in a, in a bigger community, then I felt that's just perfect. I'll just move to Denmark, be integrated in a bigger community, huge school, and um, just, you know, work in, in the frame of that yoga school and, and learn a lot of good things from really elevated teachers and also do my teacher trainings. So I was just fully integrated in Denmark for a few years. And yeah, my mom freaked a bit out in that time. She came to visit and it was fine, but also she couldn't really grasp what I was doing and why I was living on a, on a mattress in the attic of some crazy ashram, like other six women living around me as well, just because there was a lack of space. So I was like, I don't care, I sleep in the attic, you know, just give me a mattress and I would want to stay here because I felt this dedication inside somehow. So... Um, Cutting a long story short, she she went to some seminars and um, you know events to understand how it is when people get lost into a sect or into a cult, and um, of course that was freaking her out even more in the beginning. But then actually at one point she stopped going to these seminars, and and I was I was actually just noticing um, like a few months later, and then I asked her, "Mom, what's going on? You're not going anymore to." you know, to the seminars to figure out if something is wrong with me. And she said, no, no, stop that. And I was like, why is that? And then she said, you know, um, they said to me, 
like one of the major points that they that they said to me in these seminars is you will see that gradually your child degenerates gradually it will just get worse and worse and sort of this burden of a cult just weighing on them and just getting more and more absorbed into that and she says look each time i see you you just look more healthy more happy more radiant more alive more yourself so i was like why would i worry about that you know even yeah you don't pick your phone sometimes but you didn't do that either before so what's the big difference right and with that they came to terms with it but i'm also just really lucky to have uh, a, a wise and um, and intelligent family that just looks at the things and understands okay that might be very out of the ordinary choices that she's making but you know, let's let's live with that and let's just observe how, how good it is for her. And I really like the way you put that. It's not necessary to understand or be understood by your family, but it's essential to, to love them. I feel like a lot of people's sanity could be saved if they including my own, <laughs> if we could if we could embody that uh, that idea more more and more. So I guess I'm I'm trying to condense a lot of questions down into one, but I'm curious how your relationships changed as you went further down this path like how are your relationships for example today different than they were before you found the tantric path would you say how has tantra impacted your your relationships whether that's friendships or or intimate relationships or whatever yeah i mean you heard already the relationship with my family and i feel the main thing um, that i really learned especially from that beautiful sentence of my of my teacher um, just learning to love them more. I feel the love that I have for my family is just so much more. It's, I feel I'm allowing myself to love them fully because I feel I don't have to be any more engaged in this conflict whether or not we share the same ideas or political views or whatever it is or whether they understand me or not in the first place. It's just a, a relationship that is mainly based on love. And then sure, it has some other dimensions to it supporting each other and caring for each other and all that but the main basis of everything is just it coming from love and I feel it really allowed me to come especially close to my mother like I mean I've always been close to my mother but I feel it, it allowed me to uh, to somehow see her from a, in a completely different light and seeing her innate spirituality as a woman, just being a woman somehow. She had so many intuitive moments of meeting the divine and of feeling her soul. And even though, um, you know, she might not be able to relate to it when I talk to her about it in my terms, but she experiences the exact same thing. And even though we might never be able to have a discussion about it, I feel it and I feel our connection in that. And being able to focus on that, again, somehow going out of this linear and more judgmental and separated way of thinking where you sort of try to match the others to what you believe, if you just feel the other and you're just with them in that moment, then sort of the souls can meet and you can have an, an intimacy that is completely new. And I feel this is really something that... Um, that I achieved with my family that by now we have a very, very intimate connection. And even if we tease each other for what we do and for what we don't do, and we might, you know, sometimes um, have a discussion on a subject, but there's just continuously this underlying feeling of, of love. And especially with my brother, I feel somehow that I know him for a very, very long time. So we share this new intimacy that is not just mentally built like it was before, sharing friends and and um, viewpoints and music tastes and so on. But now it's like a real deep connection that I discovered for myself. Um, with my father, actually, it allowed me to, to come 
into a completely new way of even communicating with him. I felt that my father was my whole life not very open to actually communicate. It was more like him speaking and us listening or us freaking out because we had enough of listening to him somehow. And then when I came to a place of, again, just feeling his soul and, and understanding that some of the things he did in his life, he did because he couldn't do better or he did because he thought it yeah it was the best thing to do in that moment and sort of developing a new forgiveness and compassion for my parents and especially for my father um, all of a sudden we started to actually speak to have actual dialogue which was literally not possible before so when I noticed that then I understood how powerful it is to to change your inner attitude and just to work on yourself and then when you connect in a different way then the others they cannot resist When you sort of touch the soul of the other, they cannot resist. They will answer from the soul and they will be with you from the soul and then share themselves with you in a way that, you know, again, will completely blow your mind and touch you and make you learn something completely new about life. Talking about friendships um, is very similar for me, just like a newfound intimacy with friends. Again, understanding that they will not understand me, most of them don't. But actually by now I feel I'm very often in a position of being able to give something to them that was unexpected to both of us when meeting, just because I feel them in the moment and I feel I can sort of react to something in them that is underlying and that is not outspoken and that is maybe not very obvious, but still we can sort of get there just by by feeling rather than thinking and by connecting from soul to soul. And uh, at the level of romantic relationships, I mean, all the above obviously apply as well. But then, um, apart from that, learning about also having a completely new view upon sexuality and a new view upon relationship in itself, that it doesn't need to be defined in a very particular way, and also that you don't need to um, follow any type of dogma, no matter into what direction, but that you can just relate directly without the interference of mind and of concepts and dogmas and society and whatnot, um, or expectations and attachments, but you can just relate then and there and see what happens somehow. And that again brought me to a completely new level of faith because as much as I felt this faith into the mystery of the universe, I didn't necessarily feel a faith into people before the yoga and also years into the yoga, I didn't feel that. But this is something that I, I feel awakened in time, somehow becoming more and more aware how we are all connected to the, to that same universal background like the universe peopling around and um, becoming aware of that and the romantic relationship somehow creates um, a certain freedom for sure but also a completely mind-boggling depth of connection and intimacy literally um, at times feeling myself literally one with the other and I'm not just talking about the oneness of the genitals but really the oneness of soul and the oneness of, um, of the essence of the being somehow. I would have moments, um, actually both with friends and with, with intimate relationships, where I just feel like I don't, need, I don't even need to talk to you. I don't need, even need to express anything because you know, you feel. You know, I feel that you feel, we feel the same. It's the same thing. There's no need to speak. There's no need to explain. There's no need to... Um, to have any conflicts because it's already understood on this on this background that is beyond the this illusion of separation somehow. Hmm. I have a question 
that is largely selfish in nature because I want to understand this better and I'm not entirely sure I do. When I was talking with Uriel, we were talking a little bit about sexual continence for men. How is sexual continence for women different than sexual continence for men? So, um, A... And what is sexual continence? We should probably yeah, talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so, when we talk about sexual continence, um, we talk basically about relating to sexuality in a way that it will um, support your spiritual evolution. May that be like the sentence that I just said, it might be applied in abstinence, refraining from sexuality, but then alchemizing, using, controlling that energy that you keep inside by not engaging in lovemaking, and then uh, supporting your spiritual quest with that. Or you could choose continents where you stay sexually active, and yet within the sexual act, you will already start transmuting, subliming, as it is said so beautifully, controlling the energy, essentially moving the energy around in you so there's no need to uh, to lose it anymore. And practically that means for a guy to stop ejaculating. I think that became quite clear already last time. And it also means um, to have these deep multiple uh, inner orgasms that are not linked with ejaculation. And uh, for a woman, essentially within the lovemaking game, it means the same thing. It means refraining from losing sexual energy within the sexual act. Of course, with us ladies, always a bit more complicated everything. So it's not so obvious like, oh, a substance came out, ergo, I did something uh, loosey here. Um, but rather, it's like um, perceiving that your energetic level is, is lowering after having what is called an explosive orgasm, an orgasm with energetic discharge. Whereas when you have an inner orgasm as a woman, um, you will sort of remain at the same level of arousal and then even strengthening your arousal as you continue with the lovemaking game um, after an orgasm. So that's the, that's the lovemaking part of uh, feminine or female continents and then there is the part of um, obviously gradually coming to um, keep the sexual discharge of women which is the menstruation inside your being as well it's a bit more complex process as you can imagine which um, starts with harmonizing the whole experience of the menstruation so making it painless and relatively short with not crazy amounts of blood loss but having what also ayurveda considers a harmonious bleeding would something would be something between one and five days maximum mm -hmm. and just be light bleeding and not connected to any pain basically just discharging what needs to go out of the body and be done with it so that would be stage one and then stage two of this process would be to um uh let's say activate um, your capacity to reabsorb energy which physically translates into activating the uh, lymphatic ducts in the uterus that then the skin of the uterus is building up throughout the month but not as fully still building up but then is resorbed back into the lymphatic ducts and then you could even go one level more into the same with the egg so you don't even have an ovulation because uh, actually this is something that happens once per month for every woman um, as it is a little cloud of 
eggs that initially starts to grow within the ovary and then the strongest egg or for some women two or three or five or 30 eggs uh, sort of come to fruition and become big and then jump or make the make the ovulation so to say and the rest of that little cloud of eggs is resorbed back into the tissues of the ovaries which is why when you look at the skin inside of the ovary it looks like scar tissue because there's this continuous resorption of actual matter happening and then if you come to a place of controlling that which obviously you can imagine how subconscious that process works when you come to controlling that then you can resorb the entirety of eggs back into your system and then use them as free energy and then the same with the mucous skin of the uh, of the uterus so that would be the, the high level of continence for women would be to accomplish that. And you can imagine that the amount of sexual energy that such a woman would hold inside of her, if you just think of a PMSing woman, how crazy that can be. It's because she's overly I don't charged. know what you're talking about, Glendie. <laughs> it's because she's overly charged with sexual energy, right? And she doesn't know where to put it because her system is not um, able yet to contain it. Um, then imagine the, uh, the intensity of a PMS type of woman on a continuous base but expressed harmoniously, meaning expressed in ecstasy, expressed in juiciness, expressed into, in the capacity to have orgasms, to, um, to help her lover transform and so forth. So then we would uh, acquire a completely new level somehow of, of womanhood even. You use that word a lot, juicy and juiciness. What, I'm curious, what does that word mean to you? What are you talking about there? I think I know what you mean, but I, yeah. Yeah, so basically, like, technically, I'm speaking about uh, a strong and harmonious charge of a person or a situation or a connection with sexual energy. That's basically what I'm talking about. But sometimes people have this idea that when we talk about sexual energy, it's just strictly related to how horny am I or how hard does it get or how wet does it get, which surely is, is related, right? But actually sexual energy, um, not just within Tantra, but also within Taoism and other systems, is, is um, basically the expression of life force in our being. So when you have a person that is strongly sexually charged, they will not just be more wet and more hot and more long-lasting or more horny, but actually it will express, and if it's a harmonious buildup of energy, it will express in the entirety of their lives. They will just be turned on by life, and they will be juicy, so to say, in everything they do. So I like to use this word because it sort of moves a little bit away from this continuous um, over over-sexifying of this term of sexual energy because actually it's creative energy that expresses inside. And sure, it comes out in a sensual body and sensual expression, but it also comes out in just feeling turned on by life and just being alive and having a spark in your eye. Mm. And it conjures images of fruit for me. And I love fruit, so I, <laughs> I, like, uh, I like the word a lot. Yeah, I like the way you use it. Yeah, and I mean, the, the fruit is... Um, is the fruit of sexual expression of a plant, right? Mm. So we don't have a lot of time left, and I have a, many more questions to ask you, so I think we're going to have to do this again sometime. But I'd like to know more, and, and again, Oriel and I touched on this a little bit. I'd like to know more about some of the dangers of walking this path or the, the downside to Tantra. What is, what is your take on that? Like, Do you have any thoughts on who should not... <laughs> Um, pursue this path or challenges you've faced or, or whatever? 
Yeah, I actually listened to the podcast and uh, I was smiling at this question somehow because, I mean, it's, it is a very valid and a very good point. And I liked very much um, the way that Uriel answered it. Um, somehow, I don't recall exactly what he was saying. But he was pointing out that there's the, yeah, there's, a, there's basically a danger of fooling yourself, right? Like that's in essence how he was putting it. There's a danger of just, um, for example, if, please pardon my French, if you are fucking around all over the place, and um, then you say, well, it's because I'm so open and I'm so polyamorous and look at me somehow. And you forget about essential principles like love and so forth. And um, of course, that is, so to say, a danger, if you want to put it that way. I mean, a danger as in, you know, remaining involved in, in the illusions of creation, remaining um, somehow subjugated to suffering and to, you know, everything the Buddha is talking about, that, you know, all the attachments that we don't want to have anymore if we, if we want to somehow reach enlightenment. So dangerous in that sense. If you look at just living a, living a life, a mediocre life or having a juicy life in that sense, as in just, you know, enjoying a bit your sexual impulses a bit more freely, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And in the Osho community, you will find somehow a lot of those uh, um, expressions, let's say, <clears throat> people sort of freeing themselves to a degree um, sexually and sort of um, freeing also some inhibitions at the emotional level, which allows them just to, you know, to live just a bit more freely and happy and, and so forth, and maybe also a bit more indulgently and so forth. But, um, like, you know, danger, is it really a danger? It is a danger if you are searching for enlightenment, because then you can, you know, sort of, if you want to take that image, walk around the foot of the mountain 150,000 times, and with that energy you could have already been at the peak of the mountain, as in already enlightened, but you were wasting your time just going about another skirt and another piece of cake and another job and another family reunion and another thing, and sort of forgetting um, the path, forgetting the direction of all, uh, of all these wonderful things that you do in your life to be aligned towards the peak of the mountain so that they actually have a spiritual consequence for you. So this is, the danger lies in, well, you will just not make it, right? And you will waste a ton of time, a ton of time, because creation is so nice and so beautiful and so illusory and so sweet. So you can just spend a whole lot of time in it. So as in dangers, I only see it as a spiritual danger somehow. Because, you know, if you, let's say you come to a Tantra course and you learn a bit to, to hold in your energy and, um, you know, be a bit more, be, be a bit more long lasting in the bedroom. And yeah, you still ejaculate every now and again. Um, sure, you have a good life. There's nothing wrong with that. But you will not reach the top of the mountain. And probably the danger, as Oriel described it, that Neo-Tantra and Californian Tantra brings along with it is that it claims that you can go all the way or sort of there is no more other place to go after this somehow, which is a bit of a problem of the New Age um, movement in general, just to say, yeah, just relax, just be present, sure, just be slow in your lovemaking and just put some incense sticks and make a, make an orgy with a drawing a lottery to be all spontaneous about it. But missing out on the essential principles that would allow you to do all these wonderful things if you so wish to do them, 
will make you miss out on the essential goal of reaching reaching the top of the mountain. But somehow Tantra, as Uriel also described, it remains hidden from the common eye. It's, uh, I was actually thinking on my way here of this uh, very common saying that um, before enlightenment, the rivers are rivers and the valleys are valleys. And then on the path, the rivers are no longer rivers and the valleys are no longer valleys. And then at enlightenment, the rivers are rivers and the valleys are valleys. And basically, Tantra aims and even claims the tantric path only starts when the rivers have become rivers again and the valleys have become valleys again because it only starts with the awakening of the soul where actually you're doing the same stuff as before but it is entirely different. It is not at all the same. And people uh, sort of uh, vulgarized not just this path but a lot of paths by just saying, hey, I have a smart idea. Let's skip this, the stage in between where the rivers are not rivers and the valleys are not valleys. And when you do that, you're just staying on square one and you pretend you're moving forward. So, yeah, it's a very big spiritual danger in practicing Tantra. But in the same time, it is also the shortest and most efficient of all the possible paths. So, yeah, it's a choice there. Do you agree that you can attain higher states of presence, consciousness, um, satori, enlightenment in tantric sex than you can during meditation? Yes, obviously. Yeah. Really? Because I still struggle with that idea a little bit. Yes, yeah, so um, I was just sharing with, uh, with a friend of mine actually who, who is into uh, vipassana and also f is flirting with Zen a little bit. And he's one of these very dry, masculine characters, right? That just fits perfectly for that type of path, just sit and meditate and so forth. And um, I was sharing with him that um, I'm, I'm in the process of completing a Tantra teacher training currently in, in Denmark. And it is uh, an amazing, amazing journey offering a lot of initiations that I have never encountered before, actually, that are specially tailored for Tantra teachers and people that really, really want to go all the way and after having um, already quite a bunch of modules, actually now it was module six, so we had already uh, 50 days spread out over three and a half years of very, very intense, liking the word juicy, full-on, intense, sensual practice. Of course, also doing yoga and so forth, but also enjoying really life and really going into the intensity of the tantric path, the intensity of tantric ritual and so forth. And uh, now in this, basically one of the last two modules of this course, all of a sudden our teacher said, all right, and now the real thing. And then he gives us these um, meditation methods that I can unfortunately not in depth talk about, but that, that are extremely Zen in their, in their approach, extremely simple. And then I understood if I wouldn't have walked all the craziness of the lovemaking, of the ritual, of the this, of the that, up to here, I could not acquire this high state. I was just entering into, into extremely elevated states out of nowhere, basically, within these meditation practices that we did. And I understood somehow exactly this uh, little quote that I gave you with the valleys and the and the rivers, that somehow you need to be able to acquire meditative states in meditation if you want to go for the real meditative states in meditation. That's the funny thing of it. Somehow you cannot fool it on the yoga mat and then not be able to do it in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. 
So obviously they go together. And within your practice, within your path, you might you might find that when you're sitting still on a cushion, you can go into certain states. And when you're penetrating dynamically, you can enter into other states. Um, but eventually they come together. And that's the whole point, right? That you want to sort of, in Tantra, you embrace continuously all the extremes. So you learn to meditate deeply. A Tantric that doesn't meditate and only makes love, I'm sorry, is not a Tantric. Unless is making is meditating during lovemaking then we are talking right and same the other way around a tantric that is only meditating never making love that's not a tantric unless it's making love during meditation with the divine feminine herself in all her splendor mm. like milarepa for example did i have three more very quick questions for you so as you may have heard with uriel Sometimes I like, uh, I like to get my guests to complete these sentences. So I'll ask you to please complete these sentences with one or two words and sort of the first things that come to mind. The quality or characteristic I find most attractive in the opposite sex is... Purpose. Purpose and presence. I would most like to be remembered as... Light. Love is... God. And God is love. Thank you very much, Blendy. That was great. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Blandine. And I'll remind you once again that if you'd like to learn more about Blandine and the absolutely wonderful Tantra Yoga School she teaches at here in Chiang Mai, go to tantrayogathailand.com. I'll also remind you that you can find links to everything we talked about today. You can find more information about me and the show and everything I'm doing at humansinlove.com. So for the last time in 2018, I am signing off. And uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to the show this year, who has sent me an email encouraging me, who has left a rating and review. All that stuff makes a big difference uh, to me and my life, and it really inspires me to keep going. I'm really pleased. Um, as a motorcycle drives past, I think it's gone now. I'm, uh, I'm really pleased about the response the show has had so far, and uh, we're growing slowly but surely, which is always encouraging. And uh, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling really good about the future of the show because I feel like this model that I'm slowly putting together for this show is uh, more sustainable for me long term. And uh, yeah, I feel like I'm finding my feet as a podcaster more and more. And I'm really excited about what the new year will bring. So once again, please be sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already to keep track of what's coming up in January. I am going to play you out on this final show of 2018 with one of my, probably one of my most played songs this year. Uh, this is an episode, or this is a segment I like to call Please Don't Sue, because I don't have the, uh, the permission to play this song, but I have a feeling the artist is a pretty cool guy, and I don't think he will mind on the off chance that he knows that I was playing a song. Anyway, I digress. So one of the artists I've listened to most this year is a guy called Nick Lowe. Nick is a veteran singer-songwriter. He emerged out of the kind of new new wave scene in Britain in the late 70s. He wrote songs for Elvis Costello, and he uh, 
he's really, really great. And I love this song. Uh, I love this album a lot. But this song today I thought was particularly appropriate for this episode. This is Nick Lowe singing Let's Stay In and Make Love. Thank you so much, my friends. I'll remind you that life is short, far too short, to not really enjoy this holiday season and have yourself a grand old time. And I'll talk to you again in 2019. About tonight's affair We don't have to go The same crowd will be there Like they've been before At the last three in a row Now you're waiting in the hall And I'm on the stair Looking at you from above And I say, darling, just for a change Let's stay in and make love Please don't get me wrong I love to party long With my special But there's some things in life more important Than a busy social world You say softly, darling You're quiet tonight and you're right Cause what I'm thinking of Is take off your dress Let's stay in and make love Let's take a break Precious moments to steal Let's forget the chattering crowd And get down What's really Stay.